What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Mike. Welcome to episode 48 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. As you know, Super Bowl is right around the corner, like three days after this will be released, two days after this will be released. And so, obviously, we are going to talk about that. Also, the NBA trade deadline just passed. We're going to talk about that, too. Um, But first, I have an announcement. We have good news on the Mike and Dave podcast. On episode 47, our hot seat was Grand Theft Scooter, the stealing of Terry Francona's uh, scooter that he was riding around town. The scooter has been retrieved. He has his scooter back. Um... There is no good arrests. in the world. <laughs> there is good in the world. There, uh, no arrests were made. But the important thing is, he has a scooter. And what I would like to say is that we got on this podcast and we made a call to action. We we called for the return of this scooter and it happened. So not saying that it was us, but maybe it was us. Yeah, we're the guys behind the guys. Yeah. We make good things happen. So anyway, I, we listed off like the things that we're going to talk about. But before all of that, we have off the top. It is Dave's turn to bring the prompt. So what's coming this week? All right. This is an intriguing one. Um, first of all, hello, everyone. I'm Dave. Second of all, Desmond Ritter <laughs> played a few games for the Falcons towards the end of last season. He was objectively, I, (laughs) not terrible, not great, somewhere in between. Now, there is a certain quarterback, could still be franchise tagged, Lamar Jackson, arguably the most dynamic, at least runner of the football at the quarterback position that we've ever seen. Former MVP, could potentially be up for grabs. Now, at the time of recording this, the Ravens could still just decide, like, nope, we don't, you know, Lamar, you're good to go elsewhere. He could still sign a big extension with them. We don't know. One of the, just to give some context, one of apparently the uh, sticking points in the negotiations between Lamar and the Ravens is that he wants a fully guaranteed contract like Deshaun Watson got and the OG Kirk Cousins got. And the Ravens do not want to give that to him because they don't want to set the precedent like, yes, this is what is going to happen moving forward. If you're a star quarterback, then your deal is going to be totally guaranteed kind of thing. All of that to say, Mike, you and I are Falcons fans, right? We, it's, I mean, we've had a couple of good quarterbacks in our time. Really, it's basically been Michael Vick and Matt Ryan uh, for the a literal couple. Yeah. Um, And then throw in a few spot starts here and there, including, I mean, I guess you could say Mariota, but let's just forget about this season, really. Uh, Would you take Lamar Jackson as a Falcons fan? Because and I'm not just putting this out there. 
there have been rumors that say like Lamar would actually be a really good fit for the Falcons. The final, the Falcons finally got some salary cap space cleared up out of all, you know, those terrible contracts that they were under, including the Matt Ryan contract. And they finally have enough room. Let's say the Ravens franchise tag Lamar. And he says, no, I'm not playing on the franchise tag. You have to trade me. And the Ravens say, okay. What would you give up if you're the Falcons to trade for Lamar Jackson? And also, what kind of contract would you offer him once you made the trade? How far would you be willing to go? Holy cow. Okay. Uh... I want Lamar Jackson. Uh, he's a perfect fit for the Falcons because he's a mobile quarterback, and any quarterback that lines up behind the Falcons' offensive line is going to need to be getting out of there. So, first they weren't of all, that a... bad. Chris Lindstrom was a Pro Bowler. Okay, yeah, we got Chris, Chris Lindstrom. <laughs> you follow him around. You always uh, stay to the right of the line. <laughs> yes. The... Uh, you uh you avoid the left side like pilots avoid the Bermuda Triangle. You just like gravitate elsewhere. Um, there are, there are some players on the Falcons I want to hang on to. I guess <laughs> like um like Chris Lindstrom, uh AJ Terrell. I would like to hold on to Kyle Pitts. Otherwise, I'm not too picky. <laughs> like. Frankly, uh, what are, like Drake London had a decent rookie season. I don't, I don't view him as untouchable by any means. Uh, Tyler Algier had a, I think, surprisingly good rookie season. I, I don't view him as untouchable. Um, there aren't really any other offensive linemen like that I view as highly as Chris Lindstrom. Uh, I think Grady Jarrett. Like the timeline doesn't fit. Uh, he's probably going to be a decent trade asset. Uh, yeah, really, if you're not named Kyle Pitts, Chris Lindstrom, or AJ Terrell, if we can get something good and standing for that, like for that, then I'm receptive to a trade offer that includes those names. Well, um, but but what about all I heard was players. I didn't I didn't hear you mention picks at all. And I'm assuming that's what the Ravens would be looking for more than anything. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, hmm. I've heard two first rounders being floated around. So theoretically, that could be, I think, what do they have? The eighth pick, seventh, eighth yeah. pick um, eighth. in this year's draft. So I imagine that would be where they would start. Maybe next year's first rounder, maybe a couple of other mid round picks here and there from either from this draft or the next couple drafts. How okay, like for- look? Let's say the Ravens say, "Yep, we get the we get the eighth pick. We get your first round pick next year as well." And then let's say like a fourth rounder this year, and a third rounder in 2025 or something. Okay. 
So we get Lamar, and they get no players back, but they get this year's first, the eighth pick, next year's first, this year's fourth, and twenty the third for like three drafts from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd do it. Uh, because I don't see any of those picks, like, it would be hard for one of those four picks to land hard enough in a way that I think dramatically increases our fortune, but Lamar does i think um he has that sort of um what's the word i'm looking for like he's already at the level that can change our fortunes and perhaps like the star power to bring in other guys via free agency whereas like if we use this eighth pick on hmm, um oh who's the uh miles murphy I've, i've seen his name in a few mock drafts like if we get miles murphy cool you know like i think he's good i think he'll be a a good player but i can't say i'd be more excited about him than i would be about lamar also if we end up with lamar i don't know how good or bad our first rounder is going to be next year probably not as good as the eighth pick so like the best thing that we would give up would be like someone like miles murphy so i would take lamar jackson for that but what about the contract because theoretically, we could trade for him. He would play on the franchise tag, and he wouldn't necessarily have to sign an extension with us. So theoretically, the Falcons and Lamar would come to an agreement before the trade was finalized on what the contract would look like. So I think there are definitely two parts to it. Number one is is how much are you willing to give up in terms of draft capital, as well as if they wanted any players. But I feel like in the NFL, typically we don't see as many player swaps as we do players going for picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, that's half of it. And the other half is the contract. Would you give Lamar a fully guaranteed contract knowing that he's dealt with injuries, knowing his style of play, obviously being very uh, dependent on his mobility and his legs. If, if that's his like, you know, that's all he's going to accept is a fully guaranteed contract or he's going to hit the, the, you know, hit free agency. Is that what you give him? And if so, how much do you give? Yeah, I wouldn't do fully guaranteed for Lamar just because of the risk associated with his particular play style. That's probably what the Ravens front office is thinking as well. And it's not about just like fully guaranteed money because if this were more of a um i don't know like i don't want patrick mahomes to be like the first name that i throw out but like i don't know maybe like a justin herbert or something that's like he's mobile but that's not like what his game is entirely reliant on um i'd be a little more inclined to provide that kind of guarantee but with someone whose game is so predicated upon the run like more so than the past almost as at least relative to quarterback play it's tricky uh is i mean if we say no to that then he's like okay well i'm gonna walk at what point like i wonder what team does go fully guaranteed someone will i mean it's lamar jackson it's just that's a big risk in my mind i don't know that i'm comfortable making that so i don't know um I would give him a lot. I would sign him to a big contract if it were available, like a big extension. But the hundred percent guaranteed—that's 
probably a no-go for me. Okay. So basically, because it sounds like he's going to hold out for the fully guaranteed contract. So if that is the case and he will only accept that, then you would not go for it and you would say some other team take that risk. Right. Like, be my guest. Gotcha. Personally, I also wouldn't do it. Um, I think Lamar is, like, his MVP season was unbelievable, but since then, he's kind of been meh. To be fair, he hasn't had a lot of great receivers, uh, just Mark Andrews, to really work with. But still, I don't know. That's a tough one, Uh, especially with a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft, a couple of really promising ones in the next draft. Um, I might just try to play my cards right and see if I can draft the next superstar um, and have him on the rookie contract instead of blowing like 40 million plus guaranteed on Lamar. But I can all, I can totally understand why a team, especially a team that is a lot closer to contention than the Falcons are would pull the trigger on that. Oh, definitely. Like if the Falcons were like a quarterback away from contention, my answer would probably change, but that is not our situation right now. But that wraps up off the top. And I think we can just kind of go straight into our next segment because it's also NFL related. As Mike mentioned earlier, it is Super Bowl week, about to be Super Bowl Sunday when you're listening to this. And we have a great matchup on tap. The Eagles versus the Chiefs. Both teams are 16-3. and three. ESPN's uh, matchup predictor, it's literally 50-50. Which I feel like I don't know if I've ever seen when looking at like a preview for the game. If it really is a coin flip. But that's what ESPN is saying, their analytics team. So, and I can understand why. Um, Both teams have been very, very impressive this year. Um, Battled through adversity, dominated most of the season, um, and are coming in mostly healthy, um, especially depending on on Mahomes and his ankle and if he was able to get that in, in a good place with the the couple weeks off that he's had. But Mike, are there any big things that are standing out to you uh, looking ahead to the Super Bowl? Things to look for, things you're interested in? Well, the big one has got to be Mahomes' ankle, like you said. Uh, I mean, he was doing a good job playing through that uh, in their, um, in the conference championship, but uh Mahomes at full health is like a new kind of animal. Um we we know that the Chiefs have like basically the best passing attack, right? Um the Eagles had among the best rushing attacks. Um so this kind of feels like one of those like we know what both teams ideally want to do, who can do what they want to do better. Um for what it's worth uh, where the Chiefs are better at passing the ball and the Eagles are better at running the ball. Like, the Eagles are better at passing than the Chiefs are at running, statistically speaking, in terms of their like rankings among the NFL teams. So at least like 
in a manner of speaking, the Eagles have a better fallback option. Um, I want to see how the Eagles come out with this. Uh, will they come out swinging? Are they going to be in a hurry to let Jalen Hurts operate? Are they going to try and like maintain uh, what got them there? Are they going to try and just pound the ball or pound the pound the football, pound the run? You know, I guess I just have a little leftover trauma from the Michigan game where they didn't go in and do what got them there. And now I'm like, Eagles, did y'all learn something from that? I don't know. I'm also looking at the red zone. Uh, that's, that's one thing that I had noted that um, that both teams are statistically very high in uh, red zone scoring percentage on offense. Um, the Chiefs are actually number two in red zone touchdown percentage. The Eagles are right behind them at number three. However, when it comes to red zone defense, the Eagles, number 11, the Chiefs are in the bottom three. So... Who can control the red zone? Who can bend without breaking? That's one of the big things I'm going to be looking for in this game. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, it really does come down to red zone efficiency, especially in the playoffs when the margins just get a little bit tighter and you don't really have guys taking plays off. It's the biggest stage, you know, and and honestly mistakes and being able to capitalize on those and get a touchdown instead of settling for a field goal that can make all the difference in the world. Um, so I definitely agree with that. One thing that I'm looking at is the Eagles are like pretty healthy right now. They don't have anyone listed on the injury report, but the chiefs can't say the same. They put McCole Hardman on injured reserve. Uh, he got injured in the last game. Kadarius, Tony and Juju are also questionable. So, Theoretically, let's say that neither of those guys are able to play, or at least if they do, are nowhere near 100%, then it really will be the Travis Kelsey show, which like it kind of already was, but it there'll be even more uh, emphasis on him having to, to be the main and almost only target for Mahomes. Now, I will say, kind of randomly, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had arguably the biggest game of his career. I don't even think it's arguable. I think he did have his biggest game of his career in that game against the Bengals. Uh, very, very impressive clutch as well. He didn't drop the ball like he used to when Rodgers was throwing him the ball in Green Bay. Uh, so he might have to duplicate that performance uh, for Mahomes, especially if... Mahomes' scrambling ability and ability to, to extend plays is compromised at even a, just a little bit, that can be the difference as well. So it'll it'll really be for me, uh, can Kelsey continue his uh, amazing run of form that he's had? Which like, I mean, it's Travis Kelsey. I would expect nothing less, uh, but he's going to be even more important, I think, in this game. And also... The Eagles have been by far the best pass rushing unit in football this year. And especially if, you know, Mahomes is still trying to get over that that injury to his ankle, can Andrew Wiley, can Orlando Brown uh, protect him from this ferocious pass rush that the Eagles have? If not, and he starts getting hit a bunch of times, which... 
I mean, we already saw this against the Bucks in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, where Mahomes was literally running around for his life and trying to make superhuman plays, which he almost did, to be fair. Um, that was one of the craziest, like, it didn't actually work out. Like, he didn't complete the pass, but it still looked amazing. Like, the most impressive incomplete passes I've ever seen. Um, but that the Bucks showed that's the recipe for success of beating the Chiefs is a dominant pass rush, and that's what the Eagles have. So, for me, it really does come down to can the Chiefs uh, protect Patrick Mahomes and also the health of his uh, wide receiver core? Because if those, you know, if the, if Justin Watson is having to play a lot of snaps at receiver, um, and he's having to rely on like maybe two tight end sets with Blake Bell or something or Noah Gray, like if those guys can't get open or get open as quickly then that's going to just extend the amount of time that Mahomes has to be staying alive in the pocket to try to get somebody open. Um, so, yeah, I think the Eagles have a big advantage in that area, but I never want to count out Mahomes. Yeah. I That that Super Bowl a few years ago against the Bucks, like I've never been so amazed by a losing player. <laughs> Because, well, first of all, even losing player is harsh. You know, yeah, his team lost, but holy cow, it was not his fault. I mean, one of those, like, superhuman level throws, he was hitting his receiver in the hands. Dude still didn't catch it. Other, like, hits him in the helmet, you know. Like, I will, I mean, now that Brady retires... I guess Mahomes is the next guy for me where I'm like, I will not bet against blank. Um, having Mahomes on the team is just uh, something else. Uh, I do love this Eagles defense. Uh, interestingly enough, they're not incredibly exceptional at forcing turnovers. They're actually basically middle of the pack in the NFL uh, for takeaways. However, they're like top two, I think, in uh, defensive yards allowed. Um, basically, they exist to force punts. Um, Which happens when you lead the league in sacks. Yeah. Um, so, they, like you said, they do have the pass rush necessary to replicate what the Buccaneers were able to do. But if you're not forcing turnovers, you're giving Mahomes every possible play to make something magical happen um and it's not even about intercepting Mahomes on second down but they're not forcing enough fumbles either i don't know the the whole thing about not counting Mahomes out is like it gets harder and harder the more opportunities you give him to do something crazy for sure i it's for that reason that i think the chiefs are gonna win not even because i think they're a better team a more well-constructed team by any means just that they have Patrick Mahomes and that I refuse to say that Mahomes won't do something absurd to give them the edge so and that comes from a self-proclaimed Jalen Hurts fan as well which we've talked a lot about Mahomes but not quite as much about Jalen Hurts I mean if it wasn't for Brock Purdy realistically like 
Jalen Hurts would Jalen Hurts would probably be the biggest story in football this year in terms of the level that he was able to get to. Of course, I know a lot of people have said, well, he has the best roster uh, in football around him. He doesn't have to be great in order for the Eagles to be great. And I think there are elements of truth to it, but I, I don't think you can isolate it in that way. I think both can be true. The Eagles roster is arguably the best in football. And also Jalen Hurts did play at an MVP-like level for most of the year. So a lot of credit needs to be given to to Jalen Hurts, I think, as well as Nick, Nick Sirianni, that offensive line. Um, even the front office trading for A.J. Brown. I mean, arguably that was the biggest offseason move of any. Uh, getting Jalen Hurts that number one target that red zone threat. They already had Devontae Smith as a, a really good possession receiver, but pairing him with AJ Brown really is a great one, two punch. Um, and so they have to be given a lot of credit for that. And also I don't, I didn't mention this earlier, but James Bradbury signing with the Eagles on a one year deal. What a pickup that was according to like advanced stats, James Bradbury arguably the best corner in the league this year in terms of like yardage allowed. Um, and again, this was a guy who, the, who was on the giants. Like he, like they didn't try to resign him. He just ends up signing with the Eagles and he and Darius Slay could potentially be the, the best cornerback duo in the NFL, at least this year. So when you take that and you also look at what I was talking about with the chiefs, receivers and the injuries that they've suffered all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more like dang can Valdez can't link it open like do we trust a hobbled Kadarius Tony or Juju against Slay and uh and Bradbury I don't know maybe not so I don't know I'm leaning more eagles on this one especially thinking about their defensive line, their pass rush versus the Chiefs offensive line. Mahomes' ability to scramble and extend plays is one of his greatest attributes and that will theoretically be limited. Well, I mean, we'll see, but I really like that and then the Eagles secondary versus the Chiefs wide receivers. I think the Chiefs could end up finding themselves in a lot of third and longs even like second and longs, third and longs. And the Chiefs used to be one of the best teams at... Actually, I wouldn't even say they used to be. I think they still are one of the best teams at converting those. But again, just because you're one of the best teams at converting third and longs doesn't mean that you do it at a great rate. <laughs> um, so if the Eagles can continue to maybe not force as many turnovers like you mentioned, but keep the Chiefs in those third and long uh, situations, then that'll give, you know, obviously be putting the Eagles in a much better position. And over the course of the game, I think it ends up tilting more towards the Eagles who are, and honestly, like the Eagles defense is a lot better than the Chiefs defense. Um, and so I'm kind of leaning more Eagles, but 
Mahomes is the biggest X factor out of either of these two teams. He, I mean, arguably, he's number one and Kelsey's number two. Yeah, I would agree with that. A um, cu- couple things. Uh, yeah, you mentioned A.J. Brown and the great pickup that was uh, to pair with Devontae Smith. And then their first year together, they're both over 1,000-yard receivers. I think A.J. Brown had around 1,400. Uh, Devontae Smith, another like 1,100. So excellent pairing there. Um, I think he started everything by saying like that Kelsey was going to be an, uh, a big player. Uh, both the Kelseys are going to be big players here. Like the Kelsey bowl. Awesome. So, I mean, just wanted to give some love to Jason Kelsey and the leader that he, he's been on that offensive line for freaking ever. It seems. Um, and then uh, with um, your mention of Bradbury um, kind of reminds me of how, uh, well, with him and A.J. Brown, it kind of reminds me about how last year we were talking about the Bengals' addition of Trey Hendrickson. Like, these these first-year pickups and the impacts that they're having on these teams, like going straight to the Super Bowl. Um, I feel, and, I mean, heck, last year there was also Stafford, you know. Uh, that is very true. Like, these, these deals are worth paying attention to. I mean, to be fair, there are plenty of others that don't pan out um matt ryan yeah i mean that that that's a much different situation but yeah yeah but it's just interesting to see how like um these these guys that were just like undervalued elsewhere kind of like you have a team that just like says you know i i think we see something in them. we're gonna take a chance we're gonna sign this guy boom uh instant payoff uh so respect there as for Jalen Hurts, yeah, I am a, a big fan of Jalen Hurts. Uh, he's got to be one of my favorite players in the NFL right now. Um, and he is capable of magic. He's just no Mahomes. Interestingly, though, like Mahomes' stats are going to look way better than uh, than Hurts. I'm not talking about the Super Bowl necessarily, but I mean for the season. He's asked to do way more. That's natural. But when you start looking at like the percentages, uh, the averages, it's a lot more on par. Like Jalen Hurts and Mahomes average basically the same yards per attempt, average basically the same completion completion percentage. Um, the touchdowns are like a lot closer when you combine passing and rushing. Uh, interestingly enough, Jalen Hurts throws interceptions at a lower rate than Mahomes, uh, at least this year. Uh, for like context, Mahomes throws an interception basically 1.8 percent of his passes Jalen hurts it's 1.3 so marginal but like in a big sample size you know um mahomes however is also a little more likely to throw a touchdown uh but hurts does what he needs to do within the the framework of his offense is he on a better team yeah um but mahomes has the next best player right i mean I wouldn't put anyone on the Eagles above Travis Kelsey. So there's that too. Uh, which is why it does come down to ultimately, at least for me, who plays their game better. Uh, Mahomes playing his game is in a pass-heavy offense, whereas Hurts it's not necessarily being asked to throw 40, 45 times in a game. But on the on the throws that he's asked to make, can he do? can he make those throws efficiently? Can he play relatively mistake-free? For sure. And that just goes back to what I was saying earlier, uh, 
really at the beginning of this segment was it really comes down to mis- who can make the fewest mistakes and who can capitalize on those opportunities with touchdowns or capitalize on those opportunities with catching the interception, falling on the loose ball, those types of things that are like kind of 50-50. Those are the the little margins that that lead to victory in these kinds of situations and these kinds of games, especially when you have two teams that are as close as these two are. Um, now, I mentioned earlier the Eagles defense being a lot better than the Chiefs defense. And you can just look, you can just see that on paper. Um, and also, if you've you know been watching the teams this year, it's pretty evident. Here's a stat for you. The Eagles allowed 215 yards per game, which is extremely low. Um, the Chiefs, 351. That's 135 yards more than the Eagles per game. That is that is significant folks. You don't need me to tell you that, but that is significant. Um, and considering the fact that again, the chiefs, they're not going to be at full strength for the super bowl. I think it, it really does lean towards the Eagles. So with all that being said, Mike, I know that you said you're leaning towards the chiefs. Can I, can I get a score prediction and also super bowl MVP pick from you? I'm going to preface this by saying I hope I'm wrong because I actually do want to see the Eagles win. I want to see Jalen Hurts win. I want to see Brandon Graham win another one. We both have guys from our respective collegiate teams on that Eagles defensive line in Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat. Um, and, and I agree with everything you've said, by the way. Like, on paper, I think the Eagles are just, like, should be favored or should be favored based on, like, everything that we've laid out. I just can't make myself believe that Mahomes won't do it. And so since I am running with that Mahomes uh, Chiefs pick, I'm going to, it's going to be a one score in my mind. Um, We'll go. Thirty. 28-24 for the Chiefs. Okay. And Super Bowl MVP? If the Chiefs win this game, the Super Bowl MVP is going to be my own. I don't know. Maybe you'd just say like Isaiah Pacheco or something. I don't know. I'm not going to say Isaiah Pacheco. Because they're going to say Jarek McKinnon. Uh, no. I- I've changed my mind. Uh, it's going to be 28-24 because they're going to kick or no, it's gonna be twenty seven twenty four with nine field goals and Harrison Butker will But yeah, okay. My prediction stands. Fair enough. So so twenty eight twenty four Chiefs, Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP. Okay. Which is probably the least bold Super Bowl MVP prediction that anyone has made this season. For sure. I'm going to say the Eagles, obviously, as I was alluding to earlier. Um, I also think it'll be close. I mean, obviously, it's kind of a toss-up. Hmm. Part of me thinks... I mean, honestly, the Chiefs-Bengals game 
ended up being way more of a defensive game than anyone would have thought, considering the offensive talent that both teams possessed. But, okay, I'm going to say 24-21 for the Eagles. And then in terms of Super Bowl MVP, Devontae Smith. So what's really interesting there is we both have the Eagles with 24. The only difference is I have the Chiefs scoring at the end of it. Yeah, basically. That's true. Hmm. Um, Devontae Smith. I don't know why. I mean, kind of I just wanted to be a little different. But also, you know, he caught the national championship winning touchdown for Alabama in college. I think he's a big game player. I kind of like him. He's not the biggest guy, uh, but he can get open. He's tough. And yeah, I I think that they might double AJ Brown, leaving Devontae Smith with some more opportunities and, and he'll make them pay because the chiefs do not have the best secondary. So yeah, I'll go Devontae Smith as a super Bowl MVP, but I think it'll be a really, really good game. I'm probably more excited for this one than I've been for the last couple Super Bowls. Um, just because I think both of these teams are really interesting in their own way. And, you know, Mahomes is also must see TV. So, uh, so yeah, definitely looking forward to, to this matchup. Yeah. I, um, agree with what you said about Devonte Smith. I am also looking forward to this. I can't say that it, I'm looking forward to it more than I have in recent years. Just, you know, for various reasons. Uh, one of those reasons being, you know, I like Tom Brady. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean I'm not excited about this game. I do think it's going to be a good one. I'm, it's not like I'm not going to watch it, you know, heck. Uh, and again, I want the Eagles to win. So I think we're both rooting there for me because I want them to for you because you picked them. And so being right is cool. Yeah. To be fair, I'd probably prefer the Chiefs because they're more fun to watch for me. So, so basically are like our hearts and our heads are in different spots. Um, like vice versa from each other. So that's kind of funny. So no matter what on episode 49, one of us will be like, I was right. And the other one will have gotten what he wanted. Exactly. So it, it all works out. All right. Well, that should just about cover our preview of this year's Super Bowl. Let us know your thoughts on our social media Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod, who you think is going to win the Super Bowl, who your Super Bowl MVP prediction is. But when we come back, we're going to break down or at least react to the big moves from the NBA trade deadline. So stick around. All right, everybody. It is just past the NBA trade deadline, and Mike and I are here to break down and react to all the trades that happened, which there were a freaking lot. So if we don't mention your favorite player or team, then apologies, but we can only get to so much. Um, obviously, there are a few trades that stick out a little more than others. Mike, out of all of these deals, what are you looking at right now? What, what catches your eye? I mean, I want to like ignore the big ones just for comedy and be like, oh, this... uh. This Bones Highland deal uh, is really wild. You know, this is the big one that's going to get slept on. And while that does surprise me, 
it is the KD trade that's got to be the biggest. I mean, honestly. Uh, literally, like, went to sleep last night. I mean, so we're uh, reacting to this on Thursday. Went to sleep last night. was, like, not really aware of that. And then I woke up, and that was, like, the first thing I saw. KD on the Suns. And I was just like, sure, you know? Like, uh, blow that blow that stuff up in Brooklyn. Uh, is it too hot to say that Brooklyn won that trade? No. I mean, I mean, okay. The four first rounders and pick swap is one thing, right? Let's say like, okay, well, if we drafted four first rounders combined, they may not equal one Kevin Durant, which like I could potentially see that logic and all that. But no, you also included McCall Bridges and Cam Johnson, who are two of your the best players that you've drafted in the last few years, both pretty big building blocks to your team, especially McCall Bridges. I was very surprised that they let McCall go because he's been very, very good for him and continues to improve uh, year upon year. 3 and D wing plays every game. Uh, I really like him. I'm, I'm very surprised that Phoenix was willing to part with them. In addition to all of those picks, just crazy. I mean, the Rudy Gobert trade just ruined everyone. Yeah. I mean, talk about resetting the market. Uh, I mean, we were, I guess, doubtful that that would work out at least to produce championships, the Rudy Gobert trade, uh, even at the time. And he he demanded such a high price with multiple first-round picks. You already know if someone like Kevin Durant goes, it has to beat that out just to get a player that might actually get you a championship. Like The market has been incredibly uh, raised in, in that regard. Uh, yeah, McCall Bridges, holy cow. I can't believe Phoenix let him let him go uh fantastic two-way player with like such like so much room to grow still and cam johnson one of the league's better three-point shooters like unreal and i guess to bounce off of this we have brooklyn also trading Kyrie. like they get uh spencer dinwiddie uh sorry i wanted to see how many picks it was uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and a 2029 first-round pick. So they had a core that, you know, the whole super team that they tried to build there, just it wasn't going to work. That had been established. Uh, they had already moved on from Harden. And they turn a Kyrie that was rarely, if ever, playing there, uh, and KD who we knew wouldn't want to stick around if it if it wasn't a stacked team anymore, into five first-round picks, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, and McCall Bridges, all of whom are, like, very good foundational pieces. Um, Not to mention, Brooke, Brooke, like Brooklyn also got Jay Crowder in the Suns trade, who had refused to play for the Suns all year, and then they flipped him in, like, a three-team deal and got five second rounders out of it, which is crazy. So like just add those five second rounders to everything else that they got. Like 
what is with all these second round picks being traded? Like, honestly, do some teams value them and some teams don't? Or did a team just see like, oh, yeah, whoever traded five second round or so, that means it is now okay for me to do so. Like so many of these um, deals and not even big deals have a bunch of second rounders. Like even this one, the Pelicans get Josh Richardson, the Spurs get Devontae Graham and four second rounders. Like yeah. that's so random. That's it's almost like, like his bleacher report glitching out and just like carrying that over, over and over again. Honestly, uh, it reminds me of like, if you're trying to make a trade in 2k and you really want to <laughs> like, just keep bumping up the value. Just keep throwing in a bunch of second rounders for like four or five years from now and see if that'll get the deal done. Apparently it, it will in real life too. I mean, good to know that these uh, front office execs are playing some solid 2k. They're really my league grinding out here. I mean, good for them. My GM. I mean, we've long said that we could be the GMs and I guess all those years of 2K playing could pan out into experience, translatable experience for us. Um, so I do have like Brooklyn already as like the winner of the trade deadline. Uh, how to rebuild, right? Um, blow it up and get fantastic return on the, on all those assets. Uh, I'm looking at Phoenix now. Does this does this make him a favorite? With uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, KD, and DeAndre Ayton. Are you asking me, or is that a rhetorical question? Uh, I'm actually asking you. Uh, I want to hear where you think that puts them like in terms of competitors. Well, stop me if you've heard this before. On paper, <laughs> it is. I'm very intrigued to see... Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker, those three personalities meshing together. Like I don't I don't know. Um we'll just have to see, but and like on paper, they definitely look like along with the Nuggets in my opinion, the the favorites in the West right now, though the West definitely got a lot better uh than it than it was a few days ago. Like, I guess you can still count the Grizzlies in that as well. But yeah, I mean, the Suns look very, very good. And it's kind of crazy. The f- first day that their new owner, Matt Ishbia, is on, like, you know, technically owns the team, they go and trade for KD. Like, what a, what a way to, to mark your entrance. Yeah, coming in hot, honestly. Speaking of coming in hot. We we're also going to go ahead and do our hot seat in the middle of our trade deadline reaction here because, and we already talked about this player, but Kyrie Irving, I mean, when is he not on the hot seat, really? Uh, but specifically this, you know, Mike and I were talking when it happened, when he requested the trade, like he was playing so well, we hadn't heard anything from him, like no issues, no off court stuff, no, you know, derogatory tweets, nothing. So really we shouldn't have been so surprised 
that this happened because he could only stay out of the headlines for the wrong reasons for so long. And now what I will say too, though, is it's not just Kyrie on the hot seat for requesting this trade and being such a diva, but also low key. It's the Brooklyn Nets because apparently what has been reported is that the Nets were only willing to offer him an extension that was tied to them winning a championship, AKA in order for Kyrie to get his money. They had, they were hoping that this particular contract being structured in this way would make him be committed enough to apply himself enough to where he would play enough of the games and he would put in his maximum effort so he could get the money and then also so that they could get the championship. Like, you shouldn't feel like you have to do that. And like, on one hand, that's definitely disrespectful. I have never heard of anything like that before in my life. A, a team tying money to a championship like that. But also Kyrie, like, surely you must know why they did that. Like, he must be in denial here. But even with that being said, that's still kind of savage and probably deserves to be on the hot seat for for even, like, offering that up as an option or, like, as their counter to whatever Kyrie was probably asking for. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a That's Disrespectful segment. But that is, I mean, kind of disrespectful, but I'm I'm writing it off more as just like entertainingly savage. It's it's just like you can tell that they've had enough of Kyrie's nonsense. I'm sure bef- like when they were offering that, they were like, no, we don't even have any intention of re-signing him. We just want to give him the finger, you know, like, because th- he's going to. Like they know when they offer that, he's going to. D- request slash demand a trade and then joe Sai coming in hot like yeah my uh my goal was to send him some like my goal was to ignore the places he wanted to go and instead send him just like wherever i wanted aka not to the lakers yeah <laughs> which ironically brings us to another trade that we haven't mentioned so far and that's the d'angelo russell trade with him going back to the lakers ironically Things really do come full circle. Um, So the Lakers ended up getting D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt in a three-team trade with the Wolves and with the Jazz. They send out Russell Westbrook. So after all this time of hearing Russell Westbrook trade rumors, he finally gets shipped out to Utah, ironically. Mike Conley gets sent to the Timberwolves which is actually not a terrible fit. If you think about D'Angelo Russell versus Mike Conley, I think the Wolves probably could use someone like Mike Conley more than than Russell, but that is interesting. And then there are a few other uh, players in there, and the Timberwolves get three second rounders. Jazz get a fir- another first rounder. Um, Low-key, like... The Jazz are, again, kind of the winners here. I saw a a tweet at some point. I can't remember exactly how many first-rounders they have, but they have so many first-rounders from now until, like, I think it was from 2029. It was, like, 20-something. It was, like, it was, whatever it was, it was just absolutely ludicrous. 
like the draft is literally going to be the Utah Jazz select, the Oklahoma City Thunder select, the Houston Rockets select, and then just go back around again. <laughs> like, on one hand, it's kind of crazy to to see all this unfold. And you you really have just a few teams like this who are willing to blow it all up. But there were so many teams that made win-now trades because arguably this year is the most wide-open year in terms of there's not one major favorite. I mean, potentially the Celtics, but still not really. Uh, there's not really one huge favorite to win the finals this year. And a lot of teams are just going for it and trading all their picks away. And like, we'll see how that strategy pays off down the road. But if they win a championship, then it's worth it. We saw that with the Rams and the NFL, like they traded a bunch of picks. They ended up finally getting their Super Bowl and they sucked last year, but eh, whatever we won it all. So, yeah, I mean, championships are so rare. I think teams, or fan bases will forgive you unless you're like one of those teams that's just expected to win all the time for some reason. Like teams will forget, fan bases will forgive you for the next few years if you put it all out there. You, uh, you like they'll forgive you for mortgaging your future if it works. If you end up pulling that championship, I don't think any Rams fans are upset like seriously that they're not balling out this year. They just won a Super Bowl. If I were, I mean, as a Falcons fan, if we were able to pull a move that won us a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, you wouldn't hear me complain for the next like six or seven. Be like, you know what? That's fair. Did what we had to do to win one. Looking at the that Lakers trade, like, I don't know. I was just kind of like amazed at, uh, the fact that the Lakers were also able to get Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Like that's what I was not expecting at all. Um, I had a, had a feeling they'd be able to, to move Russell some way, somehow. And when I saw that D'Lo was going, I was like, okay, well y'all really made the most of it, but adding two supporting pieces that fit extremely well with what they're going to be, with what they're going to have going on there. Like Malik Beasley, you instantly get better shooting on the perimeter. Jared Vanderbilt, you get a, a an up and an up and coming player that's been doing really well this year. And then you're able to uh later trade Thomas Bryant to clear room for Jared Vanderbilt. Lakers knocked this one out of the park. If you're uh the Timberwolves, like yeah, Mike Conley fits better and you need to dump D'Lo because you weren't gonna re sign him. I guess like Nikhil Alexander Walker, that's nice. Uh I'm just kind of surprised like I don't know. Uh, good job. Like, good on the Lakers, I guess. Like, you, all three players are, are, like, worthy contributors right away. Instantly made your uh, championship aspirations more realistic. And you're still, like, the 11th seed or whatever, but... Right, but at this point, they would expect to probably try to get a top six playoff spot. Uh, and try to stay out of the plan tournament with these moves. We'll see how it all gels together. Um, but it does look like, like the Lakers added some shooting that they desperately needed in Russell and in Beasley. And 
another solid big and Jared Vanderbilt that you can send out there as well. Uh, of course, a lot depends on Anthony Davis being able to take the court and be effective. LeBron continuing his hot streak, but they definitely added. I think they took the right approach in the fact that they didn't go all out for one for another big star because they already have two big stars. What they really needed was guys to take some pressure off of them and fill in a lot of the gaps. And I think they did that. So Lakers fans are probably up there in terms of the most um, demanding and critical. And there, I mean, sure there are a lot of other descriptive words I could say about them, but uh, (laughs) surely they must be at least somewhat satisfied with the moves that the Lakers have made. I think overall they end up being winners of the the deadline. But of course we say that now only time will tell if they actually are able to pull it all together. And if um, that coaching staff is able to, to gel those, those players together. I mean, LeBron was like crying about not getting Kyrie Irving. I mean, but that was like before the whole like Joe Sy thing came out where he said that he wasn't going to send him to the Lakers. But that aside, this man is having a really freaking good week. Like, passes Kareem for the all-time scoring record. His team gets just objectively better. Uh, He goes from a team that was never going to win a championship to a team that has like certainly a puncher's chance at it. Like, if they can make it into the playoffs, there's no reason they can't uh, surprise a team or two. Honestly, there's no reason they can't win at all if they get to the playoffs. Like, the regular season just became the harder part. For sure. Another, uh, speaking of L.A., the Clippers also made a few moves, too. They got Bones Highland from the Nuggets, like you mentioned earlier, for just two second-rounders. They also traded for Eric Gordon, who finally is out of Houston. Like, I feel like that poor guy has just been there forever and like just doing his thing on terrible teams. So he gets to, hallelujah. Yeah. He he gets to go to a contender. And then they also added Mason Plumlee from the Hornets who has had a really, really good season. Um, And I think the Clippers, I mean, Zubats is, is a good player, but he's not like they needed another big in there who could, provide some quality minutes so they don't if they don't want to go small they don't have to and they were able to do that with Mason Plumley and they just traded Reggie Jackson like he he hadn't done that great this season and interestingly the Hornets are just buying out his contract anyway so or at least that looks likely so it's very interesting to see how these trades come together with teams in very different spots looking for very different things um how it ends up working out and how they end up making these deals happen. But yeah, the Clippers are another one to, to look at. I think they, they got better. Oh, definitely. Eric Gordon's one of the players that you like in the league that you have to respect for like, he's put in his, uh, Oh, what's the phrase? Like he's paid his dues in the NBA. Like he's been toiling away and he deserves like to be on teams that are actually competing. Um, just since we forgot one, but still in L.A., I guess we forgot it because it didn't actually happen like today or yesterday. But the Rui Hachimura trade, another W for the Lakers. You give up Kendrick Nunn, 
and three second here you go again three second round picks and you pull Rui who also improves the Lakers shooting and gives him a good young piece like win-win uh LA just as a city both teams you're doing great uh at least you know as far as trading goes yeah they management there yeah and there's one more the Lakers were friggin' busy um (laughs) <laughs> they ended up sending out Thomas Bryant, which was interesting. They got a few picks back for that, a, p- a few second rounders. So I guess, you know, why not? But interestingly, they got Mo Bamba uh, to replace Thomas Bryant, which is very interesting. And they traded away Patrick Beverly. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Thomas Bryant was playing well. I'm not really sure why they got rid of him and added Bamba. Um, maybe they like the song. I don't know. But I mean, I, I do like Mo Bamba, but I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Like for like swap. Didn't really understand it too much, but it is kind of funny. Beverly is uh, is out of there now. I'm sure he will be bought out by the Magic and will try to go somewhere. Oh. Probably the Timberwolves because that's where he won a championship. So. <laughs> I'm... Yeah, it's it was kind of funny how they trade Beverly and don't let him reunite with Malik Beasley. But I mean, that's a championship team right there. You just said it. But yeah, there's like I don't think there's any way he doesn't get bought out. There he's just the opposite of the magic timeline and personality, frankly. Mhm. That's that's another subplot too, which is interesting is the buyout market with all these trades happening. You have a decent amount of these uh, rebuilding teams slash tanking teams who don't want some of these older veterans that they had to acquire in order to swing some of these deals. So we'll see a lot of those kinds of players being bought out or waived in the next uh, couple days. And then we'll see where those players end up to as mostly, you know, adding in around the edges type of thing for contenders, but still could make a difference uh, for him. So we'll have to keep an eye on that as well. Also, something else to look at Portland, just like piling up potential over here. I mean, they trade Josh Hart to the Knicks, which I think objectively makes the Knicks better. Uh, even though I don't like Villanova and I don't like the, the Knicks, I like Josh Hart. Uh, the best rebounding guard we've seen in a long time, frankly. Well, Westbrook. Uh, okay, fair. <laughs> but Josh Hart is like the best rebounding guard that's like not a star. He just happens to be really good at rebounding. Yeah, that's fair. Um, So they move him. Uh, Trailblazers move him to the Knicks. They get back Cam Reddish, Ryan Arcidiacono. What a fun name to say. Sfai Mikhailuk and a 2023 lottery protected first round pick. And if that doesn't, that's for this coming draft. If that doesn't uh, end up being the case, if it, if the protection kicks in, it turns into like, I think four second rounders or something like that. So here we go again. Uh, then they turn around and turn Sfai Mikhailuk into like Matisse Thibel, which ruined my day. <laughs> that's not, I was sitting on, Hope like, okay, the Hawks are going to make a move and we're going to get Matisse Thibel and it's going to 
go under the radar and I'm going to have a party. But alas, that doesn't happen. But anyway, that means the Trailblazers get a guy that we've been high on for his defense on the perimeter. Uh, and they get Cam Reddish, who hasn't panned out yet. But like, there's a reason he was a lottery pick. There was a reason he was an insanely high recruit coming out of high school. It's because he's dripping with potential. Why not get him? Maybe it'll work out. For sure. And yeah, instead of a wing and thigh bowl that we were potentially thinking or hoping that we would get, we ended up getting a different guy, which I have to say, this came out of left field for me. When I saw this pop up, I was like, really? Uh, Hawks get Sadiq Bay um, in a three-team trade where the Pistons get James Wiseman. So that definitely didn't pan out. And the Warriors definitely should have probably taken LaMelo, but <laughs> I'm glad they didn't because that would be unfair. Um, and the Warriors end up getting Kevin Knox and five second rounders. I'm not sure whose second rounders they are. I'm sure it, it's a combination of the Pistons and the Hawks at this point. What are second rounders anyway? Um, <laughs> but the Pistons, I mean, why not? bet on James Wiseman. They did the same thing uh, with Marvin Bagley where they were like, oh, this is the number two overall pick, a center who hasn't really worked out. We'll take a chance on him. Maybe he'll work out. I mean, they do have Jalen Duran from this past draft who's started to look better in recent weeks, but still, why not take a chance on him? Um, and then the Hawks getting Sadiq Bay. What are your thoughts on this? Because I think it's an interesting fit. We definitely needed more wing depth. He hasn't had the best year this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I know that he hasn't had the best year because he was on my fantasy team. Your, you know. your fantasy team was named after him. Yeah. Baywatch. <laughs> because we're hilarious. Uh, what? Well, I, I Don't include me in that. That that was your that was your okay. Thing. Okay, I'm hilarious. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> My bad. Uh, I like Sadiq Bay. Uh, it's. I think it's a little hard for me to get excited about Sadiq Bay at this moment because none of the moves, or frankly, excitement that I was hoping for, worked out or ended up panning out for the Hogs. Um. I was going into this trade deadline like, okay, there are a few different names that could potentially be moved on the Hawks. Uh, maybe this is the year where we trade John Collins. Maybe this is, like, maybe we're going to see something with Bogey. Uh, maybe, like, who knows if DeAndre Hunter is still going to be a Hawk, like, in a week. So I had, like, all these, like, big names in my head of, like, oh, maybe one of these guys are going to move. Um, not that I wanted to, but, like, Clint Capella, I heard his name floated once or twice. So I was like, okay, something big is about to shake us up. And then we get Sadiq Bey, who fits in as like DeAndre Hunter's backup. Uh, and I like Sadiq Bey. That's the problem. You know, like, I wish I was more excited about it because I do like him. Uh, solid three-point shooter. Uh, adequate perimeter defender. Which I feel like when the Hawks get adequate, that's like an extra boost, you know, um, 
not selling the guy short. He can play some D. It, I just mean that he's not like a stopper or anything. Uh, and we didn't give up like really anything. I mean, between that and the acquisition of uh, Bruno Fernando and Garrison Matthews, like here's what we lost. Justin Holiday, Frank Kaminsky, and a handful of second rounders. Like, I don't care about any of that. So, like, in the deals that we got done, I absolutely have us as winners. I just was expecting more deals. Yeah. Or, I guess, hoping for more or bigger deals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, any of those guys who were sent out or are coming in, other than Sadiq Bey are just kind of peripheral guys, the second rounders, whatever. Um, I feel like even on draft night, the second rounders get traded around like crazy anyway. So occasionally you'll you'll run into a a steal here or there, but it doesn't happen too too often. For Sadiq Bay, what kind of bothers me about it is that he's kind of like DeAndre Hunter, but like not quite as good. He's also a guy who provides next to no playmaking. It bothers me so much that DeAndre Hunter averages like one and a half assists, maybe like 1.2 assists or something per game. Like surely you got to have, you got to add some sort of playmaking to your game. Um, And Sadiq Bey is the same. He's averaging uh, 1.6 assists this year down from 2.8 last year. Um, I mean, shooting 40% from the field, 35% from three, 15 points, four and a half rebounds, one steal. Like, he's been doing fine. Um, Isn't Sadiq Bey that guy who we were talking about, like, last year, where the Pistons were, like, trying to, like, he, he just wouldn't stop playing basketball or something? I think so. Hey. I can't remember what the circumstances around that were. Maybe you will more than I will, but something happened to where like the Pistons were like, we're forcibly shutting you down. Like you are not allowed to play any more basketball. Cause this guy was just like too intense. Oh yeah. Uh, it was like someone, one of the office execs had like gone back to the gym for something. And it was like three 30 in the morning. And Sadiq Bay was like still shooting or something. I mean, it sounds like he needs the extra work if he shoot if he's shooting less than 35% from three. Um, but who knows? Maybe he'll be a really great addition. I do think that regardless of uh how good he is, like he is another at least decent player who we can add to our wing rotation and also provide some insurance in case of an injury, which we know DeAndre Hunter is prone to at times. Uh I just really hope this doesn't cut into the min like the minutes for AJ Griffin. Because we haven't seen as much of him as I would like this year. And what we have seen, I have liked. So I just hope that it doesn't take away those minutes for, for Griffin or even for Jalen Johnson to a, you know, to a smaller effect. Cause those guys I'm looking at is like, they've made some strides this year, specifically Jalen Johnson. And then his rookie year, AJ Griffin has been pretty good. So I wanted to see more of them, not less. So I don't know how, Nate McMillan will uh, put together his rotations and everything, but I don't think that this makes the Hawks contenders. I feel like the Hawks are probably in a situation where they're going to 
straddle the line between playoffs and play in and probably end up in the play in tournament again like they did last year. The Hawks to me, I mean I'm uh, they got better technically, right? Just not they didn't really move the needle much. And to me the Hawks just end up looking like this team where on any given night, no matter who they're playing, I think they can win or lose. Um, and I guess like pro sports is like that, but you know, it, at varying levels, right? Technically, the Bucks could mess around and lose to the Rockets, but in a series, you should expect them to sweep or walk away in five. Uh, the Hawks, I think, are the pinnacle of this. We can mess around and beat the Rockets by forty, and then it, on the next night mess around and lose by 20. Um, I kind of feel the same way about a series where I don't look at many teams in the NBA as being teams that like the Hawks can't be in a series. And I don't look at many teams in the NBA as like that team can't beat the Hawks in a series. And so I'm just like really kind of, I don't know. It's a really weird emotion or like kind of feeling to have going into the playoffs. It's like, first of all, we have to make it there and making it there is hard enough because we can lose any night to any team. Can we even make it to the play? in uh, But once we get like, if we get to the playoffs, then I feel like moderately okay cheering for them. Cause it's like, I'll at least feel like we have a shot in all these series. Potentially the chemistry stuff is really what worries me though. All this stuff that's come out about Trey and Nate McMillan, John Collins not being happy, like, understandably so. I would be pissed off every single year I was being floated around as a trade candidate and then never actually got traded. Like, either trade me or don't. Like, come on. But but yeah, the, the chemistry stuff does, does concern me, as well as Trey's uh, shooting has really plummeted this year he has not been able to make the adjustments to playing off ball uh i think Dejounte murray's been pretty good for us maybe a little disappointing if i'm being honest from what i wanted from him but really i think trey is the issue with his efficiency uh that's that's the main problem i'm to the point where i'm like what could we get for trey low-key like I know that might be sacrilege to some people to hear me say that, but at this point, like he, he's always going to be a minus on defense, if not like one of the bigger minuses in the NBA. And in terms of, I don't know, who would you rather have in a, like in a vacuum and on the Hawks? Would you rather have Murray or would you rather have Trey? I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, when you texted me earlier and you said, like, do you view anyone on the Hawks as untouchable? And my answer to that was, like, there's there are players that I'd rather keep than others, but no one's untouchable, and that includes Trey Young. Like, to back up when you said, like, maybe that's sacrilege, I for the right price, I would trade Trey Young, too. Uh, between him and Murray, I don't know. Like, probably Murray? Um, he's, I mean, we're going to have to see what his extension ends up costing, but currently 
he's on a much more affordable deal. Um, we're going to be continuing to pay Trey Young almost $50 million per year to be the worst defender in the NBA. And if he's having a year like last year where he's like leading the NBA in points and assists or like damn near close to it, then it's one thing. You can write it off, right? And that's kind of what the hope was going into like receiving DeJounte Murray. Oh, well, Trey Young is going to get it done on offense. And we have DeJounte Murray to kind of help make up for some of the defensive uh, deficiencies. And that just hasn't been the case. With DeJounte Murray, we know that while he won't put up the offensive numbers that Trey Young does, he will never be that defensive liability. In fact, he'll be one of the better perimeter defenders in basketball and currently cheaper. Uh, I'd rather have DeJounte Murray. Um, yeah, it, it's tough, but and and it reaches a certain point, and I don't know if the Hawks front office floated Trey Young to anybody. Surely we would have seen a rumor come out if they had, but I wonder how, like, it would, it might be really difficult to trade Trey Young, even with his, like, superstardom. Who wants to pay 40 something million for him? What team can afford that, but also, like, like can justify getting Trey Young because it would, like, put them into contention or whatever? Yeah. Um, that is difficult. I mean, it would need to be a team full of defenders, um, like three and D guys, really, and a lob threat. I mean, honestly, the Celtics, in a way. But then that means that you're taking the ball out of the hands of Tatum and Brown. Like, you don't necessarily want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know what we always say about Devin Booker? In that he can't, we don't see him as the best player on a championship winning team. The more that I've watched Trey, the more that I feel the same way about him. I just don't see him being the leader. I don't really see him. I, it's weird. I feel like he, by default, makes his teammates better on the court. But like with his playmaking. But he shoots way too much. And he also doesn't seem like he's that like he's a very good teammate either. And it's just it's just hard to say. I know this isn't necessarily trade deadline talk, but like it is I think the Hawks are in a weird place right now. If anything, our run to the conference finals a couple years ago might be one of the the worst things that have happened to the Hawks in a while. Because with how the roster is currently constructed, I just don't see I don't see a way forward, especially when, I mean, we're trading for DeJounte Murray, who's great, but like you have a team like the Suns who already has Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and then they trade for KD. Or you have a team like the Celtics who get Tatum and Brown and then are able to fill in well around them in order to create a really good team. Or the Nuggets with a perennial MVP candidate and Jokic, or even the Mavericks with freaking Luka, who we could have had. Um, now with Kyrie, like, 
there are just so many teams that I would take over the Hawks. And it's it sucks to say, but it's true. So I guess I didn't make this clear enough, but I did want I did want to trade John Collins. And the reason for that is his usage is super low right now uh, compared to other points in his career. Uh, he's His scoring is going down. His rebounding isn't that great. He like when you combine Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, and like even though John Collins is flashier, his pick and roll partner is Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter is getting more offensive action. Even though he's not playmaking, he's getting more shots. AJ Griffin's being incorporated. Jalen Johnson is getting more playing time than last year. John Collins isn't being used enough to justify the contract he's getting but he still has the skill and potential to be attractive to other teams. That's why I thought he would get moved. And I thought maybe, you know, we could move him for a first rounder or two. Um, I mean, given the market, it would be at least two. Um, Maybe a young player, but he just doesn't fit this team right now. And when we, you know, once three o'clock rolled around and John Collins is still on the team, my first thought was, well, damn. This is about to be another Hawks situation where we let a player walk and get nothing for him. Another Al Horford or Paul Millsap or Damari Carroll. Like We've seen it so many times and it feels like we're about to see it again. When does Collins' contract end? Like I feel like it. he has a few more years, doesn't he? I, I think it's at the end of either next season or the season after, but... I'm just getting that vibe because every year his, his name is there. Every year it doesn't happen. I mean, if anything, like we, his trade value keeps going down because his usage keeps going down. Um, really, yeah. his three-point percentage is what's really killed him this year. And if you're going to have Clint Capella in Okongwu at center, you need a power. You need to stretch big to go next to him. And that's like their main role. Ideally, uh, like three and D four type of type of guy, and John Collins just isn't that. I think he can be very effective and very good on a different type of team, a different roster, but it's just not working. It's not really working with Capella either, to be honest. He he doesn't deserve all the money that he's making either. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the box scores recently, but every game it's like. 12 points, 10 rebounds, maybe a block here and there. It's just not really moving the needle that much. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I think the Hawks are in a pretty difficult spot. Um, and as Hawks fans, it obviously sucks. Um, we're going to see a Hawks game in like less than a month against the Trailblazers. And I'm like, I mean, I hope we win the game, but... I wish I was, I wish we had made like a big move at the deadline and like there was some optimism and excitement other than like we got Sadiq Bay and freaking Garrison Matthews and Bruno Fernando. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm envious. I mean, like I'm envious of the Lakers in the sense that like, when we were talking about them, it was, wow, they made a couple moves and now their team is just far and away better than they were 72 hours ago. 
I'm envious of that. But I'm also like almost equally envious. Well, not equally, but like in a similar way, I'm envious of the Nets. Like, okay, their team right now got far and away worse on paper, but like they just set themselves up for the future. Like, I don't, I didn't expect like the Hawks. Well, as a Hawks fan, you learn to expect little. But I guess what I was wanting wasn't even necessarily like, oh, wow, we made this blockbuster move and now we're contenders. Um, if anything, I was like, let me wake up tomorrow and see like, whoa, the Hawks traded Trey Young and John Collins and got like 20 first, first rounders. rounders. <laughs> What'd you 20. Say? <laughs> 20 first rounders. <laughs> and Jalen Brown. You know, like <laughs> that was, I was like, well, the Celtics do Jalen Brown for Trey Young. Like, it was it was situations like that where I was like, I don't care if it means we're competing this year, but th- there's a path. Because I think where we're at now is just like absent a distinct positive direction, and that's what like is probably the most difficult thing to deal with as a fan. Um, if your team is trash, but you can tell that they're like making strides and like you can kind of see a path in front of you that's one thing there's room for optimism but being stuck is just so hard because you know that it will probably have to blow up you have to see it get worse still we have a perfect example of this the utah jazz they realized you know what rudy gobert and donovan mitchell and then the rest of that team joe ingles bogdanovich etc like it's not happening so what are we going to do? We're going to trade all of these guys for an insane number of picks and young players. And then we're going to be able to flip some of those guys around again for more young players and picks. And oh, by the way, one of the guys we traded for just so happens to have blossomed into an all-star. And now we have a great building block. Oh, and by the way, one of the picks that, or one of the other young players that we got Walker Kessler is a potent, like one of the better shot blocking centers as a rookie in the league. Like, like he's literally out go bear and go bear right now. And this is what I'm like. First of all, this is, this is Danny Ange. Like this is what he does. Um, yeah. <laughs> but this is a perfect example of a team recognizing, Nope, this isn't working as hard as it is blowing it up and maximizing you know, utilizing their, their scouting, whether that's in the draft or other players, they probably targeted Laurie marketing as a guy who like, this guy has a chance to break out. Um, same as Walker Kessler, same as, um, Abaji from the, the Cavs, like all these guys who were either just drafted or young players or, you know, who haven't had the chance. Like that's why I'm kind of surprised they didn't necessarily go for John Collins and trade, one of their like innumerable assets for him. Cause I could definitely see where he could potentially fit with, um, with them and just kind of see like, maybe this guy will work. You never, I mean, you never know. So I would much rather be a jazz fan right now than, than, a, than a Hawks fan based on where their timeline is. Cause the Hawks timeline is like scrambled. I don't know. I don't know where we're going and I don't know how long it's going to take to, to get to that unknown destination, whether that's good or bad. I don't know. 
So this kind of ended up taking a turn and we've talked for probably 15 minutes about the Hawks and uh, complaining about it. But are there, you know, trying to wrap up this segment, are there any other trades we did not mention that you wanted to touch on real quick before we uh, head to the fun fact? I mean, I've been kind of going through, we didn't talk about Jakob Pertl going back to Toronto to continue on this mini series of guys going back to teams that they've previously been on joining D'Lo, Bruno Fernando, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, but yeah, Jakob Pertl going back to Toronto, which by the way, not that we have to dwell on this, but there were a lot of rumors about Toronto going into the trade deadline and none of them were, Oh, they're going to get Jakob Pertl back. Like they were all, they're going to move OG on Anobi. Fred Van or Vliet. Fred Van Vliet. Exactly. Gary Trent. Like, I thought at least one of those players were going to move. Instead, they keep all of them, and they add a good center. Uh, I thought Jakob Pertl was going to get traded. I did not think it was to Toronto. Well, for, I mean, the Raptors will gladly pay the price of getting Pertl f- for the championship that they got when they got Kawhi Leonard, and Pertl was kind of just collateral damage. I guess was sending him with DeRozan. Uh, and let's not shortchange this either. I mean, they gave up a decent amount to get him. I mean, Kim Birch is kind of like, eh, whatever, but they gave up a first rounder and then two second rounders. But like the first rounder, obviously like those are so, so precious to these teams right now that, for the Spurs being able to get that first rounder and then whatever additional assets they have, you know, they, I'm sure they gladly took that. So, and it wasn't a first rounder in like 2028 or something. This is for next year. Yeah. We will definitely see if that works that I think we ended up talking in varying degrees of depth about every trade. Uh, Maybe there was one that we didn't mention, but if we didn't mention it, it's probably not that critical. Um, But let us know your thoughts on on these trades. Uh, were there any big winners or big losers that we didn't like give enough shine or slime to? I don't know. Uh, but leave leave us your thoughts on our social Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. But the show is not over yet. I know we did the hot seat early, but we still have the fun fact uh, to get to. So stick around, and we'll be back to close out the show. We just got done talking about some players that are moving around. But here on the Mike and Dave podcast, we have a certain appreciation for things that are here to stay. And one thing that we know is here to stay is Dave's fun fact. So Dave, what is our fun fact this time? You could also say one other thing that we know that's here to stay is your corny transitions. <laughs> <laughs> Which are very much appreciated. It's like its own little segment. What are how it's, are you going to come up with another way of transitioning this time? It's on the uh, the untouchables list for sure. Um, so if you remember last episode, I did a sports related fun fact, and that was out of the ordinary. But we're going back to back episodes with sports related fun facts this time oh, around. Shoot. I know. This is probably a first 
in podcast history that this is happening. So you're listening to history being made as I speak. Now, this doesn't actually really have anything to do with sports. Um, it's what? just... It, hear me out. It's just the person involved, at least until extremely recently, was a professional athlete. Now, you may have already seen this, Mike, but and I actually would not be surprised if you have not seen it already. Uh, but to everyone else out there who may have missed this story, if you, you've probably seen Tom Brady's retirement video already, if you're listening to this, uh, where he's just chilling on the beach, you know, wind in his face, just hanging out, and casually says, yep, I'm not doing anything too crazy. I already did this once. Um, but I'm retiring from the NFL, whatever. So somebody had the apparent big brain to find the exact spot that Tom Brady made his retirement video on the beach, scooped up some of the sand that he was sitting on, and put it on eBay, right? Now, credit where credit is due, you know, there are opportunists out there, there are hustlers out there, and like, I respect the grind, right? Surely they wouldn't have thought this would actually work, right? Oh no, it's worked. (laughs) Maybe even too well. At the time of recording, this vial of sand is listed for 99900 US dollars is what the highest bid on it is for. I'm sure that by the time you listen to this, it will have gone past 100k, six figures. Now, I understand that there is a big market out there for sports memorabilia. You know, whether it's trading cards, whether it's even stuff like ticket stubs um, to a game or programs or game-worn jerseys or whatever the case might be, there's a big market out there for these things. How this is included in technically in sports memorabilia is beyond me. The fact that somebody out there has enough money to drop a casual 100K on a bottle of sand that Tom Brady, that Tom Brady's butt was sitting on when he just so happened to record his retirement video. Like, there are a lot of things in this world that I, I just can't make sense of, but that's up there for me. It really is. I'm trying to think of who it, who it is that would be buying it. You know, Robert Kraft. <laughs> I mean, I get the the weird um, memorabilia. Like, I've got my uh, my authentic rag towel used by the one and only Bob at a concert. But if you think... Wait, 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 wait. No, we can't just leave it there. Please tell the story. Okay. Once upon a time. 
uh, it was our one of our college's homecoming concerts, and B.O.B. was there. And I'm a big fan of B.O.B. And he had this, like, towel, right? This black towel that he would, like, that he just, like, had with him as he was performing. May have, may have once or twice dabbed his face with, you know. No, I, I don't think it's may. I think he definitely, the towel <laughs> was for wiping sweat off of his face. And he did that several times. Details. Details. And he, he hands it off at one point to this girl in the audience who did not want it but she saw an opportunity (laughs) and she saw an opportunity so she got on the uh the like the facebook marketplace bobcat exchange yeah yeah (laughs) specifically for the college right and she listed it as like bob rag um with the now as a sort of certificate of authenticity, she posted with it a selfie of her at the concert holding the rag to show that this is, in fact, the rag. And she's like, for the price, it was literally like, IDK, make me an offer. And I was and I was like, okay, let me look at these comments. And one person was like, five bucks. And I was like, I will give you more than five bucks. I'll give you 10. And then someone commented like something obnoxious, like I'll give you $10 and two cents or whatever. And then like there was a string of jokes or whatever that just like 10 Oh four, you know? And so I messaged the girl and I was like, unlike these jokers, like I will actually just give you $10 for this. Um, if you like, like if you want to like just arrange that tomorrow or whatever. And she was like, yeah, like it's yours, you know? And so I'm, I met up with this girl and she, I gave her the $10 and she was like, enjoy your rag. Uh, so then my friend, uh, Lindsay and I went down to Hobby Lobby and she picked up, she helped me pick out this, um, uh, what's it called? A shadow box? Yeah. It's a shadow box. (laughs) So, so I put the. I put the towel, the rag, in the shadow box, <laughs> the rag, in the shadow box. But I didn't feel like getting a label maker or anything. So I got an index card upon which I wrote like B.O.B. rag and then the date of the concert. And I still have that. It's just sitting in his closet. It is the jankiest thing you've ever seen in your life. It's too funny. Oh, man. I I mean, I remember like you telling me that you had bought it. And I was like, okay, whatever. But I had never I hadn't seen it in its like like showing like shown off like it's some sort of like super valuable like rare item or whatever. <laughs> That's like, yes. I let me put this up on like in my foyer, and you know, when you walk in the front door, like, yep, here's this rag that Bob wiped his sweaty face with a few times. Oh, uh, I can only imagine it smells absolutely terrible in there. Um, hey, I haven't opened that shadow box since I got. I wouldn't. I would not recommend doing so. Uh, 
but yeah, that is too funny. Um, anyways, I'm really glad you brought you brought that up because that is hilarious. But yeah, so apparently, my fun fact is somebody out there is paying a hundred k for some sand that somebody just scooped up, uh, which happens to be where Tom Brady was sitting when he made his retirement video. And Mike's fun fact is that he has a, a rag from B.O.B. and a shadow box sitting in his closet. So that's where we're at, folks. This is the Mike and Dave podcast. Y'all can decide which of those facts was more fun. I mean, I have my vote. It's definitely yours. <laughs> but Same. Did I just hijack your segment? Hey, by all means, go it's for Mike's it. It's Mike's fun fact. Episode 48, Market. But anyways, I think that'll just about do it for for us for for this episode uh thank you so much for listening as always if you have not already then please do hit subscribe um on whatever listening platform uh you use as well as leaving us a five-star review slash rating as well we would greatly appreciate it let us know your thoughts on uh these nba trades who's gonna win the super bowl um we're going to put a poll up for who won the Kyrie Irving trade uh, between the Mavs and the Nets. So let us know your thoughts there. Also, now that we've talked about this Tom Brady sand and B.O.B. rag, what's uh, what's your favorite memorabilia that you have? Or the weirdest? Shoot. Tell us both. You can tell us all of that and interact with us on social otherwise at Facebook, um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. Uh, we're getting really close to episode 50, which is kind of wild, uh, just two episodes away, but until that point, and I mean, I guess at that point and after that point, this has been and will continue to be Mike. And I'll just be simple and say, this is Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. Alexander on the beat.